afternoon in the Catechism, we will look at what the Bible teaches us about repentance in Lord's Day 33. We'll read a couple of passages about repentance, dying of the old nature, the coming to life of the new, turning to the New Testament to Mark, Gospel of Mark chapter 9. We'll read verse 42 to verse 50. Mark 9, this is God's word. Jesus teaching his disciples and saying, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, where everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another." Then our second reading is from Colossians. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 17. And as we read this, we can take note of how Paul speaks about putting off and putting on, putting off the deeds of the sinful nature and putting on the deeds of the new person in Christ and his spirit. Colossians 3, 1 to 17, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds together, binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
So far, our reading. I've chosen to look with you this afternoon at Lord's Day 33 in the Catechism. You can turn there to that part of our confession, Summary of God's Word, page 549, where we read, What is the true repentance or conversion of man? It is the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. What is the dying of the old nature? It is to grieve with heartfelt sorrow that we have offended God by our sin and more and more to hate it and flee from it. What is the coming to life of the new nature? It is a heartfelt joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. But what are good works? Only those which are done out of true faith in accordance with the law of God and to his glory and not those based on our own opinion or on precepts of men. Beloved in Christ, we're fascinated by the idea of quick change. You can always watch some TV show or another about big transformations. Maybe a person's spotty face and bad hair undergo a total makeover. Or they tell the story of a drastic home renovation. Those kinds of shows are always very interesting. That love for making the old into something new, that love of making things over, can lend the idea sometimes that change is easy. You just pay a big amount, you connect with the right people, you try hard enough, and transformation will happen in a hurry. It's an attractive idea, but it's so unrealistic. Real change takes a lot longer. The more significant transformations for a person change in our character, our lifestyle, our core beliefs, that can't be accomplished overnight. It can't be accomplished by the end of an hour-long TV show. That's because we face a problem that goes way deeper than the surface of things. The problem is sin, and its effect is so far-reaching. Sin doesn't just touch the outward character of a person, like my actions, my words. Sin impairs my internal condition, condition, my very nature, my affections. If we don't address that reality, it's really like renovating a home all nicely while the foundation underneath is cracked and crumbling or all its timbers are rotted through. It's not enough then to throw on some paint even put in a new kitchen. If change is only external, our condition is no better than it was before. Change has to go deep. As Christians, we believe in God's almighty power. We believe that God is able to raise the dead. Christ can heal what is completely broken, and he does, causing us to be born again through his word and spirit but there is still no easy fix to the problem of sin. And that process of being regenerated takes a lifetime. This is what we see in Lord's Day 33 concerning the true repentance or conversion of men. Here's our theme. Through the Spirit's power, our repentance is ongoing. We'll look at that as an activity of putting off and putting on and keeping on. 
Well, let's begin with an example. Say that there's a particular sin in the life of a believer. And by God's grace, this sister, call her a sister for now, she comes to realize and confess this thing as a sin. Perhaps it's the sin of gossip against the ninth commandment. She thrives on sharing negative stories about other people. She just can't resist passing along rumors and slanders and bad reports always come to her and get passed on to others. Then she comes to see how this sinful habit has become so ingrained in her daily conversation and sees too that it's destructive and wrong. She acknowledges it to God, her sin, and she asks for his mercy. There was sin in her life, but she put it away. After going the wrong direction, she turned around. She repented. That is wonderful. It's a work of God when we confess our sin. It's a work of God when we make a stop to what we were doing before. But let's realize that resolving to repent of such and such a sin is just the beginning for what happens now. After a brief holiday, does that sin of gossip or drunkenness or pride or greed or lust, after a brief break, does it just come back in full force? Or is that sin simply replaced by something worse? After our confession of sin, what happens? That's why when the Catechism talks about repentance, it emphasizes that there needs to be an ongoing change. It asks, what is the true repentance or conversion of man? And the answer given, it is the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. Notice those two activities, simultaneous, side by side, dying and coming to life. The point is, even once we've repented, We need to keep working with our repentance. We need to keep putting off that sin so that it doesn't come back. The first aspect is what we focus on in this point, how repentance is the dying of the old nature. The Catechism explains it in answer 89. It is to grieve with heartfelt sorrow that we have offended God by our sin and more and more to hate it and flee from it. And just give attention, beloved, to three actions that are mentioned in that answer. There is grieving, but there is also hating, and there is fleeing. Grieving sin. To us, grieving might seem like a quiet or passive activity. We picture someone sitting in a chair, perhaps silent tears rolling down their cheeks. That is grieving. But maybe it's better to think of how people in the Bible times would grieve, letting out loud cries, waving their hands, expressing strong emotion. This is how James, in his letter, calls out to sinners. He says, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. The point of all that is not to make a show of grief, but that there's a real expression of repentance, something genuine. It's about grieving for our sins in a heartfelt way. And we've got things to learn here. 
For I suspect that often we don't give our sins much more than a second thought. Sin troubles us little more than having to stop at a red light. Troubles us little more than losing our Wednesday evening soccer game. It's disappointing when we sin again, but we get over it pretty quickly. But scripture says we ought to mourn how sin comes between us and God. That's right, by your sin of showing disrespect to your parents, or by my sin of a lack of trust in God, or by your envy for your brother's success, we offend God's holiness. And so we must humble ourselves. The next two activities of repentance are hating sin and fleeing from it. And appreciate how important this is too. Instead of hating sin, it's easy for us to tolerate it. Think about how easily we make space for our sin and we make excuses for our sin. It's just the stage that I'm going through. This is my character. It always been this way. I'm too weak to fight it. Or we get defensive about our sin and we say, I was tired. I had a bad day, a bad week. I needed to let go. But hating sin means we don't defend it, but that we actually despise it. We hate it. Other times we remain too close to sin. Maybe you can think of a situation where you knew that a specific sin was nearby where temptation was very real, but you didn't avoid it, but you actually went towards it. After all, you're strong. You know your limits. You can stop when you want to. But see the third duty of repentance? God calls us to flee from sin. Remaining close to sin is the exact contrary to this. And it's for good reason that we should flee Sin has power. It's deceptive and it's overwhelming. Grieve, hate, flee. Scripture confirms that approach of the catechism when it says we have to be severe in our response to evil. Consider Colossians 3. Paul says there, put to death what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Put it to death. Now throughout this section in Colossians, Paul is contrasting two styles of living. He's saying you can have an earthly style of life and you can have a heavenly style. Verse 2 of Colossians 3 is his theme. He says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. You and I can live in a way that's dominated by the pattern of this world, dictated by things below, where you are essentially living for yourself. Or, Paul says, you can live a life that is joined to the heavens, joined to Christ, one blessed by his strength and ruled by gratitude where you are living for him. Set your mind on the things above. And the life that is joined to Christ comes with a serious demand. There should be this separation from all the old ways. Put 
to death what is earthly in you, says Paul. Kill it. Be finished with sin. Somewhere else the Holy Spirit talks about crucifying our old nature, nailing it to the cross with Christ, killing it completely so that it doesn't come back. We find these same activities of hating and fleeing sin in the teaching of Jesus in Mark 9. Because the time is so urgent, the Lord tells us to take drastic measures. Jesus even says this, those memorable words, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And again, a couple verses later, if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. The doctor's advice is spiritual amputation. Well, how seriously should we take this? Jesus says, anything in your life that regularly causes you to sin, to forget the Lord, anything that leads you into sin, beloved, anything that you recognize as predictable and obvious as an opportunity to sin, you should, as much as possible, remove it. Cut off the hand and pluck out the eye. That's true, of course, sin doesn't start in our eye, neither does sin arise from our hands or feet. In the same way, the evil of greed does not live on the credit card in your purse. Your sin of drunkenness cannot be blamed on Jack Daniels. Your sexual lust cannot be blamed on someone else's revealing clothing or can't be blamed on the apps you have on your phone. All these things are only the physical instruments. They are the tools for sin, gladly taken up by our sinful hearts. But Jesus says, to start fighting sin, you need to get all those physical things under control. Because repentance is not just a feeling. Repentance involves real steps to combat our sin. For example, Proverbs teaches us to turn our eyes, restrain our feet, hold back our hands. So if there is a stubborn habit which you know in a predictable way seduces you to evil, Jesus says you have to give attention to breaking that habit. Break it off. That's God-pleasing repentance. Or if there's a friendship which regularly or potentially brings you into sin, then you should probably end that friendship. If there's an activity that is beginning to ruin you or dominate you, take steps to reverse that trend. Remove it from your life. Take away the occasion. Shut that door of open access. Get rid of whatever enables, and bring it out into the open so that others can help you. Do we really need to take it so seriously? It's all a bit drastic, isn't it? Well, listen again to Jesus' words. This is what is at stake. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye 
than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Yes, it's better to go without today. It's better to deny ourselves today than to give in to Satan and to forfeit the gift of salvation. Beloved, all this means that our repentance must be more than good intentions. Repentance is more than merely hoping to avoid temptation. I know, sometimes we sin and we say, well, hopefully better next time. Maybe next weekend I'll have stronger self-control. No, Jesus says you need to do something about it. You want to do something about it because you don't want to die in your sin and you want to honor God. Paul says a bit later in Colossians 3, but now you must put them all away. Colossians 3 verse 9, put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Put them off, he says. Put them off. It's like you were working in the garden yesterday and your clothes were all dirty and sweaty and grass-stained you came in the house and you stripped them off and you put them away. In the same way, get rid of our sin through a conscious activity. Deliberate. Take away the occasion. Find a way to shut the door of open access. Get rid of what enables you. And then make sure that you've put on something better. Putting on is another part of repentance. There's a verse in Psalm 34 that nicely captures the idea of true repentance. It comes in verse 14. It says, depart from evil and do good. That's the two parts of repentance reflected in the catechism. We stop doing our own will and we start doing God's will. When that sister ended her chronic gossiping, it was well and good. When that brother resolved to stop watching porn every night, that was good. But that was only the first step. There's another side to repentance. It's the coming to life of the new nature. Well, what does that new, new life look like? The Catechism says it is a heartfelt joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. We start to replace. We start to replace those evil deeds with a dedication to good works. Colossians 3 speaks of this too. Verse 9 says, You have put off the old self with its practices. First, there's a reminder we've put off the old self, that sin nature inside us. And in principle, that evil nature is already crucified and dead. In principle, it's already gone, but in practice, it's still being killed. The remnants are hanging on, and we experience that every day. And in the place of the old self, something else is coming to life. Verse 10, you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. 
That's the miracle of regeneration. By his mighty spirit, God is renewing us, gradually restoring us in the image of the righteous one who gave his life for us. That activity of putting on is something we can get better at. We saw that Christ calls us to take real steps in fighting sin, grieving, hating, fleeing, confessing sins, closing doors on sin. And in the same way, Christ calls us to take real steps in doing what is good. This is so true, and it is encouraging for us. Delighting to do God's will is something that we can learn. We can learn this. As always, we have to begin with what's inside. From the overflow of the heart comes everything else. Remember what Scripture says, set your mind on things above. So if you will ever glorify God in your life, God's majesty must become real and precious to you. A mind set on adoring God will be a mind set on serving God. It's when God impresses us, when God amazes us, that we will be motivated to live for him. That's why Paul begins in the way he does. First this, set your mind on things above. And then you can put on all those good things. That's the first thing. We need open eyes for God's glory. When we delight in the character of God, in the promises of God, God gives us the resources we need for a changed life. And then Paul puts the change from one style of life to another in very practical terms. This is what it looks like. Look at verse 12 to 15 again of Colossians 3. He says there, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You can hear how the Holy Spirit in Colossians 3 keeps on saying, put on this, put on that, put on mercy, put on forgiveness, put on love to bind it all together in harmony. It's again the image of putting on new clothes, getting a fresh look, after you've taken off what was dirty and smelly and grass-stained. By Christ and his Spirit, we receive this whole new wardrobe. We're now clothed in his righteousness, robes washed in pure white, washed in his blood. Old, exchanged for new. Unclean for clean. Death for life. Exchanging old for new comes about in real change. Real repentance, beloved, is seen in our daily habits and attitudes. For example, that sister who used to love to gossip 
Now she uses her mouth, she tries to, use her mouth to praise God and to encourage others. Old, replaced by new. Or that middle-aged man, instead of being given over again to his private lust, he aims to increase his delight in God and God's people. He finds something new to be busy with instead of his device. He finds something new to give him joy. He's putting off evil desires and he's putting on holiness. And the amazing thing is that doing God's will like this never goes to waste. Sin is, of course, only a dead-end road. On its own, sin never produces something good. Sin only leads to death. But God gives to our good works a power and effectiveness. God uses our little efforts to glorify his name, to make his kingdom come. The quiet prayers that we offer for a struggling family, they matter. The gentle witnessing to Christ that we do at work, God uses that. The daily and often repetitive instruction that we give to our children, God uses that, along with our flawed labors in the church and the money we give to the gospel, the passing kindness we show our neighbor. The Lord says all these things count. They make a difference as we delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. For a sinner who has repented, doing good is a delight because it's even liberating. The Bible says it's like this newfound freedom. Sin traps us. Sin enslaves us. Temptation always forces us into a corner because after a while it seems like this is all we know what to do. I'm just going to surrender once again. But God gives his spirit. And where the spirit is, there is freedom. When you have the spirit and your life is guided by the word, you can begin to do God's will freely and to do it with joy and to do it continuously. Brings us to a final point, keeping on in our repentance. By now, it should be clear that there's no one-day makeover for the Christian life. Any conversion or new birth is the beginning of a long journey. Every good thing that is put on in Christ must be kept on. The Catechism hints at this when it describes the dying of the old nature. It speaks of how we must grieve our sin, answer 89, and more and more to hate it and flee from it. If you do anything more and more, that means it's growing, it's increasing. Lately, I've been running more and more. Well, so for our repentance, if we've tried to keep our favorite sins away from us, we've taken steps to remove it from our life, then we have to keep on doing that. Also, when it comes to doing good, more and more, 
should be our motto. Year over year, we aim for growth in the fruits of repentance. The Catechism speaks here of living according to the will of God, answer 90, in all good works. Not just serving God in some good works, like doing our Sunday thing, or making sure we say our bedtime prayer, but we aim to do God's will in everything, in all good works. No moment of the day, no part of our character that has not been touched by God's sanctifying spirit. So our repentance is always an unfinished project. If you repented yesterday, you must do so again today. If you repent today, you must do so again tomorrow. That is tiring, isn't it? That's probably one of the most difficult or frustrating things in the Christian life, the fact that we need to keep going. There's no break from it. Our enemies are always hard at work, and so often we're running up against our own weakness and fatigue. Progress for a Christian is erratic. There's not this stable arc toward perfection. And so it's hard to keep going. It's hard to keep our eyes on the prize. But then we remember God's good purpose. He chose us before time. He saved us through his only son and promised to make us perfect in him. And we know that God is faithful right to the end. And that's how we keep going. We hold on to God's promise. We are confident that in us and for us, God will fulfill his purpose. That he who started a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. In that same certainty, Paul reminds the Colossians of their prize. He says, verse 4, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. One day soon our Savior will appear. And then he who is our life today will be our life forever. We will appear together with him in glory. Flawless majesty. Let that encourage you to keep going, to keep working, to mature a little more in your trust in God's name, to increase in your love. May we make every effort to add to our faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and self-control and brotherly kindness and perseverance and to add godliness, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ more and more. As the Spirit writes in another place, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap a harvest if we do not lose heart. Having walked in our shoes, Christ knows very well what it's like for us down here on earth. What he says, don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. You have my spirit, 
So when you have repented from sin, keep going in that good direction. Repent again. And repent again. And draw near to God. Because you're almost there. Amen.